folks. Welcome to another edition of The Herd. I'm David Shepard, MLA for Edmonton City Center, uh, proud new Democrat, and joined by my incredibly capable colleague, Sarah Hoffman, who is the MLA for Edmonton Gonora and our critic for education and has been a very proud new Democrat for even longer than I have. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm well, thanks, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. So, Sarah, this has been quite a week. Uh, what have you been hearing from folks on the ground so far? I know there's been a lot of tension. There's a lot of anxiety coming into this week. I was hearing constantly from folks who were very uh, afraid, frankly, and stressed that the government was refusing to taking, take the kind of action we needed to see to bring the COVID numbers under control. We finally saw a shift this week. What have you been hearing from folks? Yeah, so the week before was when the shift happened for students in grades 7 to 12, that they were all expected to learn from home uh, instead of coming into schools. And I think a lot of people, especially watching the numbers and how quickly they were growing, especially in schools um, and how the contact tracing um, system had completely collapsed, I think a lot of people understood why they were starting to bring in some additional measures. But they didn't understand why those same kids could go to the water park or why after work they could go to the pub or um you know, other other questions were being asked about. So, why are schools the what are the first things to get shut down? Um, and uh, it was a lot of work, I think, for students and and for staff to transition over yet again. It's been a really challenging last uh, you know nine months, and um, I think a lot of people are starting to figure figure out their groove for trying to work remotely. But people want to make sure that other parts uh, were being taken seriously and that there were serious uh, measures put in place to slow the spread and the number of people who are identifying as either having COVID themselves or being close contacts now, uh, it's just grown so quickly in the last month that I think people really were desperate for their government to seek some kind of leadership and show some kind of action. Absolutely. Uh, that's what I've been hearing across the board. And of course, hospitals have been in the news a lot. We've been hearing from a lot of doctors, a lot of folks on the front lines. But you're, you're right. Schools, uh, I think, haven't been in the news as much. But of course, how many people have kids and have kids in school or work in schools? So I think it's something that really has been affecting a lot of people, even if it hasn't gotten the same level of attention. For sure. And even though kindergarten to grade six wasn't on a forced closure, uh, a lot of people were identifying as uh, being close contacts and needing to isolate multiple times so far this year. So, you know, it's uh, uh, unfortunate that the government and there were a lot of steps between reopening with no support or reopening with, you know, two masks and some hand sanitizer and closing schools. Mm. But the government didn't take any of those steps in between to reduce class sizes, spread students out. Uh, increase opportunities for for um, maybe staggered uh, attendance to have reduced uh, numbers and cohorts. Like there were a whole bunch of different options that they had, but they went straight from reopen as near normal to close grade sevens to twelves. Um, and I really wish that they'd been a little more proactive. The good news is um, they have yet another chance to show that they have learned that they're being proactive and to make some changes before students go back in January. And I desperately want all students to be able to go back to school safely in January. And that's going to mean the government needs to step up and, and make some investments to make school safer. Indeed. And so what we saw this week is that, in fact, finally on Tuesday, 
Jason Kenney finally bit the bullet and made the decisions that I think uh, doctors and uh, medical experts across the province have been calling for for weeks. We've seen those numbers climbing in hospitals. As you were just telling me, we see those numbers climbing in schools, more and more active cases on the front lines there. But yet, you know, just like you're saying, Jason Kenny, in schools, he's sort of saying, well, it's one or the other. Either it's all in or it's all out. Been putting the economy against people's health and sort of refusing to make a decision Tuesday. He finally cracked. So we saw him finally move forward and starting Sunday morning, we see the sorts of full restrictions that are really what have been needed for some time that we've seen work successfully in some other jurisdictions to bring the numbers down. Uh, what were your feelings on this, Sarah? I know Tuesday afternoon, I was sitting there in the legislature and sort of had, and sort of keeping an eye on uh, YouTube with the captions on, well, sort of trying to follow the debate, and I was waiting to see what he was saying. What were your feelings when uh, we were waiting for that and when he finally made the announcement? Yeah, so I, I had a bunch of mixed feelings. Um, like many of the small business owners I know, my hairdresser was texting me trying to figure out what it meant for her. And she said, you know, I really wish they would have either been proactive in October or been able to give us some more lead time. I wish we would have known this was coming. We could have tried to make sure we accommodated people in a safe way. Um, you know, I really feel for those small business owners. And, and, and when people talk about, like, isn't it awful that this is happening so close to Christmas, I agree. It should have been triggered months ago, probably. Like, there was an opportunity in the fall when Jason Kenney saw the numbers starting to spike. The second time he went into um, isolation, and I'm glad he did. If you're a close contact, you need to isolate. But you shouldn't you shouldn't hide. You know, I, I know five- and six-year-olds who were still going to school, even though they were close contacts. They were doing it through the computer, but they were still talking to their teacher. They were still demonstrating that they were doing their work. You know, there were 12 days where we didn't hear from the premier as, as people of this province, and that was really the point when the numbers really started to take off. And, um, and I'm sure he was overwhelmed. I'm sure he was concerned about what was happening. But uh, so were, you know, millions of Albertans who needed the government to step up and social, show some leadership at that time and instead he really like doubled down on um, on uh, talking points and and not taking action and as a result the action is happening right now uh, so close to Christmas which you know uh, is a special time of year for so many of us um, and and I feel for everyone who um, who has been impacted and who's worried about what this means for their families I wish that that Jason Kenny would have shown some leadership uh, months ago and he would have prevented this from coming to this situation absolutely I I think that's that's one of the key points here. It really did not have to be this way. We had other options on the table, but he's has this incredibly binary view of the world. It's one thing yeah. or it's the other. Incredibly ideological. He acted like he had no choice but to do one or the other. And we know there's a whole lot of options in between. We were putting those options out and on the table for weeks. So we're doctors, medical experts, yeah. all these other folks. And the lack of communication, I think you're right, is one of the things. If there's anything I've learned, you know, as a office manager or working in communications or working as a politician, one of the worst things you can do is leave people in silence. That just heightens yeah. anxiety. It heightens fear. People want to hear from you. They want to know where things are at. And that provides comfort, reassurance, and that builds the sense of a team. So Jason Kenney is actively dismissive of the idea of taking stronger steps to address the spread of COVID. He has MLAs like uh, Jason Steffen from, from Red Deer South in the legislature talking about NDP socialist lockdowns, right? And that the premier was right to resist that kind of radical ideology. So creating this atmosphere for people in Alberta who are 
genuinely worried, like you say, their businesses are threatened. They're going into schools. They're going into hospitals where they know COVID is spreading. And they're getting this kind of attitude from their premier. Uh, with that happening, you know, I think it's no wonder that Albertans have been having a much harder po- time pulling together during the second wave. Well, and right around the same time that the numbers were really taking off, one of their MLAs sent out a newsletter saying, you know, the worst of COVID was behind us. At the same time, and it's the MLA for Banff, Kananaskis, and Banff has among, uh, it depends on the day, but it's either like the highest rates per capita in the province or or in the top five. Um, and it is spreading so quickly. So to 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 share information saying, you know, the worst is behind us. Don't worry, everyone. We can move on now when all of the evidence is pointing in the opposite direction. What, what the people there needed was uh, more testing, more uh, action on uh, keeping them safe in their workplaces. And at the same time, the government was rolling back workplace protection and um, and making it very difficult for people to get uh, information, uh, even about their own personal health. But the, the other piece I want to touch on is and you've been very effective at this, is talking about letting us know what the data is showing right now, letting us see the modeling, letting us see the projections. Because my hairdresser, if she knew that when we hit this threshold, your business is going to have to close for a while, she could have... um, planned for making sure she didn't have so much product, making sure that she was staggering her clients as they were coming through, like being able to anticipate. But instead, what we had was either every week people were afraid they were going to be shut down or they were in denial that it was ever going to happen. And neither is good when 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 there's data and information. Be open and transparent with the public. Uh, it, it was cabinet information, but I've been in cabinet. You can make a decision to share the information that you're using to make your decisions. And uh, we've seen that before under uh, Rachel and, and even other under under other premiers, and Jason Kenney could have done the same. Indeed. And it's, you know, watching this, it's just more and more. I'm seeing Jason Kenney has a very strange idea of what leadership is. You know, he seems to think leadership is hiding information from people. Uh, I get the sense that he almost felt that, you know, everybody has to feel like everything's normal, or at least very much, I think, politically for him, it's advantageous for everyone to still believe it's normal. So he can keep ramming through uh, very problematic legislation. He can keep uh, moving ahead with some ideological stuff like that announcement. They want to lay off 11,000 frontline healthcare workers yeah. at the end of October. But even, even if we're giving him maybe more credit than due, he seems to think that the thing to do is not tell anybody anything and then suddenly make the deci- make the next decision. And so it was such a, it was almost whiplash in some respects, policy-wise, ideology-wise on Tuesday for him to suddenly come around and say, okay, well, now we are going to do what everyone has been asking us to do for weeks. And of course, people are going to ask questions about that when you make that quick of a U-turn. And he has not been handling that well. We saw in uh, one, one uh, reporter on Tuesday asked him directly, said, well, hey, look, People asked you to do this weeks ago. You didn't. There's been impacts on businesses. People have lost their lives. Do you, I mean, do you feel badly about that? Do you take responsibility for the impact of your decision? And his response to that reporter was, well, that sounds more like an NDP speech from a, than a question, you know, and that's getting into smearing Alberta. The next day, he was questioned by another reporter on the radio who said, you know, well, hey, you're talking about the NHL and all these things you did in the spring. It's not the spring anymore. Things have really yeah. changed, and you made the decisions that have led to this. How do you feel about that? He says, well, that's Alberta bashing. I mean, what, what, what does that say to you about the kind of leader that Jason Kenney is? So two things. Uh, number one, uh, when I hear this kind of attack on the media, it reminds me of the politics that we've seen from Donald Trump south of the border. 
Uh, number two, when you make a mistake, own it and apologize. And sorry is one thing that Canadians are accused of saying and doing way too often, right? Like I wake up in the morning and I stub my toe and I apologize to the dresser. Just kidding. But, you know, that's the kind of example we have. Um, and instead we have a premier here who refuses to, number one, take responsibility. I get it. It's tough. It's scary. And if you haven't had to make a lot of tough decisions, and, and I, I, I imagine that this is a, a, a level of decision-making the premier isn't used to. Um, uh, but he needs to step up. He needs to lead. And when he makes a mistake, he should own it. He should say, you know what? We probably should have taken some more measures a few months ago. I, too, am worried about the, the, the reality of needing to use field hospitals. Like, that is really scary to me. And we're doing everything we can to bring in these measures so that we don't have that situation where we have to be overflowing into um, into these field hospitals. Like, he could show a little more compassion, empathy, and, and, um, and reflection. I think we all want to ensure that as we move forward, because never things being so grim, but also hopeful. There is a vaccine on the horizon, but it's not here yet. Mm. We want to make sure that between now and when all of the people we love are vaccinated, um, that the government's taking concrete measures to keep us to keep us safe, to keep uh, to keep us with incomes, and to keep our, our homes uh, heated and and lit, and, and our and our ability to to take care of one another. So, so by failing to reflect on his failures, and let's be very frank, like when you question whether or not the government took the right steps, that isn't an attack on our province or on one another. That is questioning whether or not the government showed the right leadership and if they made the right decisions, and that's accountability. Um, I just wish he'd own it a little bit. I wish he'd show that he's reflecting and that he's going to make different decisions moving forward that put the people of this province first instead of his ideology. Absolutely. Because to just a quick rundown of everything that we saw from Jason Kenney leading up to this decision. So we saw him reject multiple calls from multiple public health experts, hundreds of doctors, other folks all writing to him, ask him to take stronger measures. That was going on for a period of about six weeks. He stood in the legislature and gave you know a little mini lecture about comorbidities. He talked about how people, well, you know, the majority of people when they get COVID, they're not really actually sick. So it's not really that bad. He blamed the uh, the racialized communities in Northeast Calgary and talked about how they were to blame because they were getting together and spending too much time not recognizing that these folks are actually frontline workers out doing so much stuff to keep our economy going and folks that need to keep working to survive. You know, we yeah. saw a lack of support for businesses. Businesses like he said, that weren't able to access the federal supports because Jason Kenney refused to actually take the steps that were needed, so they were losing money. Pandering to anti-maskers in his caucus and uh, and outside in his political base. And then, like you said, all the information that he refused to release, going into hiding himself for those 12 days after he instituted his first sort of grab bag of half measures. So, again, just... That is a record that you need to answer for and be willing to answer for in front of the media. And I know we've been working hard to do that in the legislature. I think uh, we're, we're incredibly fortunate to have a leader like Rachel Notley, who's been just on fire, I think, in the legislature over the last little while. Uh, one of the great things uh, I think that we saw Rachel call for recently in regards to this, because we were, again, continually putting forward other options that the government could look into uh, last week was that uh, she stood with uh, Lori Sigurdsson, who's our critic for seniors in housing, and they called for uh, twice-weekly rapid testing in continuing yeah. care because uh, we have not seen these guys put in much of the effort that we really need to see to protect seniors in care, have we? 
Not at all. And um, and it's really scary. And, and the other piece, a lot of people who live in long-term care, like by definition, you're there because you have comorbidities. You're there because you have other health factors that need to be addressed. But when they die, it's still tragic. And, you know, we don't see people die in other ways. You don't see somebody die in a car accident and then people pull up their record and say, well, they had high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is absolutely um, uh, disrespectful to the families, to the person who's died, to um, the fact that um, that people are suffering right now and there's great grief. And I think that being as proactive as possible, including twice weekly uh, testing in a long-term care, and, and I appreciate that there is a vaccine on the horizon, but a lot of people, you know, in November alone, five people a day died in some type of continuing care, whether it was assisted living or long-term care. So being proactive in these sites to, to keep people with as much information to make sure staff are getting regularly tested and, and so are the residents so that decisions can be made to, to keep folks as safe as possible before everyone's properly immunized, I think is the humane and responsible thing to do. And, you know, I, you mentioned the, the hockey teams, you know, it was great that people were getting tested regularly in the spring, but we also need people to get tested regularly in the fall. And if we could do, you know, it was more than twice a week rapid testing uh, for NHL players. I think that um, our seniors uh, and other folks living in continuing care who have significant health complications and the staff who care for them, who are putting their own um, safety on the line to, to provide services for those in need, deserve that same level of respect and compassion. Absolutely. And you mentioned the vaccine. So that is a little bit of a bright spot in what's a bit of a dark period, I think, for, for a lot of folks at the moment. And indeed, of course, we're uh, just into the Hanukkah season now that just started this week. Yeah. And so celebrating, uh, I think, light and darkness is something that's a part of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, spiritual beliefs and that's something that we've got here. We've got the, the Pfizer vaccine that was just approved by Health Canada on December 9th, and we found out where it's going to be hitting the ground here starting on December 16th, and that's going to be going out, first, to, first of all, just under 4,000 doses to ICU nurses and doctors, respiratory therapists, other workers in some of the major hospitals that are dealing with, with COVID-19 patients and outbreaks. So I think that's a wonderful thing. And we're hearing now uh, we've got a vaccine rollout plan. We're going to see that start in January with uh, some of the, the most uh, vulnerable populations are going to get vaccinated first in that first uh, three months. Then they're going to spread that out a bit more general public by the fall. So that's encouraging to see. And uh, I, I feel pretty good about it because I think we've got a great great group of ser- public servants that are working in Alberta Health Services. They were a big part of why we did so well, I think, in the first wave. I mean, Sarah, you were Minister of Health. You work with these folks. You've kind of seen, are you feeling similarly? We've got this in good hands, at least in terms of the public service for the vaccine rollout. I think we have a, a strong public service that gives excellent advice. <laughs> the question is whether or not the government will always weigh the evidence and the advice and follow it. And um, it's been a few weeks now, but when we saw those tapes uh, leaked, uh, those audio tapes leaked, um, uh, and I know how frustrated they are. I know how much they care. They, they step up and do this work because they care about the safety and well-being of one another. And they're trying to give their best advice. They're trying to make sure that they are giving clear evidence-based um, proposals. Um, so if the government wants to be truly open and transparent, they should make all of those proposals available to the public and then show us that they're following 
those recommendations. You and I, back in the summer, um, through uh, the, co the committee we were on around the Public Health Act, um, uh, we proposed that there be independence for the medical chief medical officer of health, that there be uh, a more clear relationship between the chief medical officer and the public. Because right now, uh, and, and I have tremendous respect for Dr. Dana Hinshaw and the work she does, and, and had the honor of being the minister when she was hired into the department, was part of that decision, and, and fully support uh who she is and, and, and what she does. But the reporting structure is that she reports to a deputy minister and in turn the Minister of Health and the Premier. And it's been very clearly documented that, you know, she gives a, a information and advice, but they are the decision makers. So when it comes to the rollout, uh, I really do hope that this government um, doesn't uh, provide uh, interference in making sure that uh, the advice, the expert evidence based by health professionals is followed. Because I uh, think we've seen in the past that um, the government has intentionally chosen to ignore their advice on a number of occasions. So uh, they really have some work to do to repair trust and confidence in the government's um, willingness to follow this advice, in my opinion. Absolutely. No, that's entirely fair. So I think what we can say is certainly uh, all of us, I think, in the official opposition and indeed Rachel herself, we're really hoping that this vaccine rollout does go smoothly. Uh, we are indeed all going to get vaccinated ourselves. I'm not aware of anyone in our caucus that has medical reasons that would prevent them from doing so. But it does put in mind for me one other way in which, again, we've seen this problem with communication and lack of leadership from Jason Kenney. So, yeah. of course, they wanted some good news, so they were very quick to get out and talk about the vaccine. And, hey, that's valid. People need hope. But his social media communication uh, that went out. So he uh, put out a great big graphic uh, talking about it and in big bold print it says nobody will be forced to get a vaccine in Alberta and then underneath but hey we really hope that you actually do go out and get one. <laughs> so again uh, it seems strange the emphasis that the Premier is putting out and his folks are putting out. I mean who are they actually talking to uh, when they're putting out this kind of messaging to Albertans? Well, the, it's not inspiring confidence and hope. And, like, this is one of the, the challenges, too. Like, we have this, um, uh, by all accounts, a broken um, contact tracing system right now. And part of it is that they really wanted to rely on folks using the app that they'd created, which had many uh, errors at the beginning. And there, you know, how, was it nine people that have been notified by the app? I can't remember the exact number, but it was 19. incredibly small. Oh, Nineteen. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it was incredibly small number number of people who've actually been notified by the app that they were a close contact to somebody with COVID. They have regularly, time and time again, um, uh, really uh, messed up um, their communications and, and their, their ability to um, inspire people to uh, use systems that they have, for example, because number one, the rollout was done poorly, the product wasn't ready, they really wanted to fast track it, and then people lost confidence in it. So when it comes to the vaccine, when you lead with, we're not going to force you, instead of leading with, uh, research studies show that this vaccine is 90 or 95 percent effective based on which one you get. Um, research shows that there aren't negative health consequences with getting a vaccine. Here are some of the reasons why this vaccine is going to make it easier for you to spend next year with your family uh, at Christmas or make it you feel safer when your kids go back to school once they're immunized. Like If you lead with all of the benefits and the safety uh, concerns are addressed, uh, people are far more likely to get the vaccine instead of leading with, we won't force you. Lead with, like, 
I, I would I would get, you know, 10 vaccines if it meant I could spend Christmas with all the people I love this year. That's not even an option, right? So, uh, you know, I, I'm really uh, hopeful that by next Christmas I'll be able to be confident uh, that we're going to keep each other safe. And, and a big part of that is the vaccine. Uh, the other part is other safety measures, including cla- capping class sizes so that mm. uh, the risk for kids is lower. You know, like there, there are tangible steps that can be taken. A vaccine is definitely a very big one, but it's not the only one right now. So when we see Jason Kenney showing this lack of leadership, the doubling down on his concerns really about his political base, because what we know is that he's uh, continually throughout this been messaging to a lot of people on the far right when he talks, you know, when he's got MLAs talking about socialist lockdowns, when he talks about police states in Australia, you know, who took some very effective measures. It means they are all together with Christmas now. They are living normally because they took steps ahead of time. Or in this case, you know, talking about when he talked about this with the media, sort of, to, or, or one of his Facebook lives, I forget which, but he was talking about, you know, well, no, we're not going to strap people down and force them to get injected. Like Using such loaded language that injects so much negative emotion into a time when we really need people pulling together, as you say, to help each other. There's so many more community-minded and positive ways we could be talking about these things to really unite people. And then they turn around and they criticize us for being too divisive. You know, when we're bringing up these issues in the house, it's just stunning for me. Well, and I think it shows that they care more about, or at least Jason Kenney seems to care more about himself and the way people view him than he does about the steps he's taking to keep everyone else safe. Um, When I think about a a contrast as well, um, when Fort McMurray was on fire, everyone was required to leave their homes to evacuate the municipality. But when you lead with information, including the folks who are on your door knocking, saying this fire is coming for your house, you need to get out of here right now. When you lead with the why, why you should be getting out or why you should be getting vaccinated as opposed to you don't have to, you know, like if you lead with the information and, and the why instead of just focusing all on the, the exceptions or the, the how, um, I think that uh, you create greater, greater understanding. And if we also engage in conversation with the people who don't want to get immunized and found out what their, what their barriers are to immunization, and that's one thing, it wasn't a sexy piece of legislation at the time, but one of the bills that we passed when we were in government um, that you might recall was around um, uh, youth immunization records and uh, where they were registered being shared with public health so that if there was an outbreak at the school of something that a child hadn't been immunized for, they could act more quickly to make sure that the child was uh, isolating at home. But also so public health could call the parents and say, hey, I I see that you missed your child's MMR booster. Um, Can we have a conversation? Uh, Number one, were you aware that you didn't get that immunization? No, I wasn't. I, you know, I lost track of time. I have too many things on my plate. Great. Let's set up an appointment for you. Or number two, is there a reason why you didn't get that vaccine? And can I talk to you about some of uh, your your concerns about that and and find a way to get to the other side? You know, I think that we would be better served. And I think we have tremendous uh, folks who work in public health um, that the government should be empowering to speak up and and support education and and information on this rather than pushing their messages of, you know, we're not going to force you to do anything. Like 
obviously. Nobody's calling on anyone to be forced to do anything. But what we need is a government that leads with uh, with compassion and with information and evidence, not with, you know, their blinders on and, and fear about the, you know, uh, the loudest voices that are in their ear at that moment. Absolutely. And, you know, and one of the biggest reasons for that, I think, is I, I've constantly throughout this been thinking about frontline healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, yeah. healthcare aides, all these other folks who are dealing with the situation. Because, frankly, they've been reaching out to me. You know, have been by text, social media, direct messages, emails to my office. And, uh, you know, they're putting out videos. They've been appearing on the news. And just it's heartbreaking to listen to the pressure that's being put onto them, the choices they're having to make. The This is going to take a toll on people's mental, physical, emotional health from having to, I guess, face this kind of trauma on the front line. And like we talked about, it didn't have to be this way. And I mean, and that's not setting aside, you know, all the trauma being experienced by the patients themselves who contract COVID-19, some of whom lose their lives, all of their friends, family, and loved ones who often don't even get to be there with them in their final moments. And the challenge here, I mean, and why it's so important, I think, for for our premier and our folks in government to really think about the message they're sending is this is still going to get worse. These restrictions are going to come in on Sunday, and we know it's going to be 10 to 14 days after that before we really see the impact of those hopefully of everyone choosing to follow those restrictions and see those numbers come down and we have seen indeed from uh, modeling which has been shown to us by healthcare workers and of course Premier Kenny still refuses to share that we are looking at hospitalizations rising more than 50% in both Edmonton and Calgary by Christmas Eve so we are going to see increasing pressure it is going to get even harder these folks are going to be spending health workers are going to be spending their Christmas holidays facing increasing pressure. So this is really, and that's something I didn't really hear the premier address. He talked on Tuesday and he talked very passionately and eloquently about his concerns about impact on business, about his concerns about impact on the economy, his, you know, impact on, you know, the mental health of people who are forced into isolation. But at best, I think I heard two or three sentences sort of saying, yeah, thank you, healthcare workers. We recognize you're working hard. And no, so this is something that I feel very passionate about right now as I see this still coming. Yeah, absolutely. And and let's be frank, like failing to act to protect people is bad for the economy. Like, um I, I worked in the service industry. I remember what it was like to be 19, 20 years old, IDing people. And, and, you know, like when you're not much older than the people you're asking for ID from, or sometimes you're even younger, that's a bit of an awkward conversation. But we've already seen what's happened in a number of businesses where, where people say, hey, I need you to wear a mask or, hey, I need you to, you know, like that's a really, when, when your government won't even say you must wear masks, but you're asking that 19 or 20 year old working in the service industry to, to, you you know, make those decisions and, and to implement um, that leadership. Uh, it's tough. So I have to say how relieved I am that the government actually stepped up. It, we are the last province in the country to bring in a mandatory mask mandate, but I think that it is uh, necessary. And, and the reason why every other province went is because the research is pretty clear that if you're in another room and you're masked, your probability of transmitting something is far, far less than if you're not masked. And and I also want to say that, like, part of why I wear my mask is because I'm worried I might be asymptomatic mm. and I might have COVID and I don't want to give it to people. I don't want to have um, that on me. And I think about all the healthcare workers 
who had to go to work that didn't have any idea that they were positive because they weren't getting tested. They were asymptomatic. They showed up. They went to take care of somebody's grandparents, to take care of a, a failing senior in our community. And now they have to live with the guilt that they brought something into the facility that actually led to somebody's uh, death. Like that is an awful burden to put on people too. So, so this, Twice weekly testing, for example, that we're calling for um, isn't because we want to see numbers go up. It's because we want to see lives saved. It's because we want to make sure that we have all the information and that we're making all the best decisions to keep people's loved ones alive a little bit longer. And, you know, I don't care if somebody's reached the average life expectancy. I care if we're doing what we can to keep them safe and well and our community safe and well. And, and if it's good for public health, it is also good for the economy. You know, having healthcare workers who, uh, you know, aren't beyond the, the point of break, uh, breaking, uh, be able to engage fully in their family activities and their community activities and their economic activities is really good for all of us socially as well. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to close things out, I think if there is a ray of hope that I've seen in this, mm-hmm. I mean, aside from the vaccine, it's that, you know, I really have seen Albertans come together over the last few weeks. And it's unfortunate that it couldn't be in the way that it was in the spring, where we were able to do that in a spirit of community and hope in support of, you know, good steps being taken by government and steps of the right restrictions being put in place, even for all of the other gaps that we noted at that time around supports for seniors and businesses. That At least the community came together in support. This time around, the community had to come together in resistance. We had a premier that was refusing to listen and refusing to act, but really it's the community that came together. We saw polling that showed a majority of Albertans wanted stricter measures. We had groups of doctors come together to speak out. We had medical experts speak out. We had independent media bring that voice forward. We saw people writing to their MLAs. And I really do believe that the pressure that was created by all these folks who spoke up, folks in education, all these other realms, really led to us getting the decision we needed to, even with the reluctance that we've seen from the premier and bringing it forward. And if we can find hope in anything, I think it's that even sometimes in spite of our government, we can come together and we can get the right things done. And that's what we need to do, I guess, again, over the Christmas season is really work together, encourage our friends, family, loved ones to take the right steps. Keep, let's keep those gatherings small. Stay with your cohort, your household, or your two close friends if you're living single. Let's, t- let's avoid going out as much as possible. Let's keep those contacts down. Let's do everything we can to ensure that we put these next four weeks to the best use possible to bring this under control. And my message to uh, to listeners in addition to that, or, and specifically to folks in the Premier's office who are probably watching this conversation, is there is a chance to show leadership in January. There is a chance to show that we've reflected on, and by we I mean the government, that the government's reflected on what they did in the second wave and how it uh, went wrong, and to get it right um, moving forward. They can be more proactive, they can reduce class sizes, they can give more supports to frontline healthcare workers, um, they can be open with the data and information sharing, and uh, uh, and Albertans will do their part. We always have, but we need a government that does their part too. 
Absolutely. So, folks, uh, probably not going to get another chance to talk to you before the holidays hit. So I want to wish everyone a wonderful holiday season. Please take the opportunity to reach out to your friends, family, loved ones. Let them know that you care, you're there for them. They want to let you know they're there for you. We are going to be here for each other through this Christmas season to bring these numbers down and to build a much stronger community again when we come into the new year. So thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks, Sarah, for for coming in today and uh, for a great conversation. My pleasure. Thanks, David. All right. Happy holidays, folks. 